Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Quora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock, and I will build my church on this rock. The gates of the underworld won't be able to stand against it. In 1 Corinthians, we read, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And finally, in Matthew 5, we hear Jesus say, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing and understanding of scripture. Did you know that church was Jesus' idea? Why did he think church was important? Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize people, but what does baptism really do? Jesus told his followers to remember him when he was gone with bread and wine. And that sounds good, but how does that work? Three powerful gifts, church, baptism, and communion. It's great to be with you today. And I'm really excited about our fall kickoff and our series of sermons where we're looking at, you know, some very basic things that play a pivotal role in our spiritual life. But before we talk about the church, its power, its purpose, and its potential, I wanna share with you what I did a week ago Saturday. So it was my last day of summer. LaVon said, do you think you could finally get out and mow the pasture down? And I hadn't mowed the pasture in a year. In fact, this is what it looks like or what it looked like last week. If you take a look at the video, and, uh, and so I had trees growing up in the middle of the pasture. There were weeds. I mean, these, you know, these trees were probably, they were over my head. So they're small, but they were, you know, six, seven, eight feet tall, some of them. And, and so I've, I'm going to mow this thing down. I'm excited about that. I'm going to hook up my bush hog, or it's not technically a bush hog, but a rotary mower, a brush mower. I'm going to hook it up to my tractor. I'm going to get after it. And so I get in the barn and, uh, and I go to start up the tractor. And I realized as I couldn't get it started, I hadn't started it in 10 months. And uh, that's not really great for an old tractor that's, you know, built in 1964. And I had a, you know, uh, a battery tender on it. The battery was fine, but I just could not get it started no matter what I did. And so finally I had to, you know, break down and call my friend, Dave Webb. I call him every time there's something wrong with my tractor. He's a part of our church too. And, and he came right over and, and uh, he said, Adam, you know, when you don't start your tractor for 10 months, like it's hard to get them started. I'm gonna have to pull you out of the barn and pull you and have you pop the clutch. And, and I think we can get it started that way. And he said, but when I'm doing it, I want you to record this on your camera, on your phone, because I think there's a sermon in here somewhere. So, uh, so here's what we recorded as he was uh, pulling me out. Take a look. And so hooked up a chain to my tractor, begins to pull the tractor out and pop the clutch. 
and eventually blow the cobwebs out of the motor and, uh, and I'm ready to go. It required my friend to come and do this, and, uh, and when, he finally, when he was finally done, he said, yeah, I really think there is a sermon in this, and I thought, yeah, this sermon is for this coming weekend. Now, when we get to the end of the message today, I'm gonna show you what I did with the tractor, and we're gonna talk about what the sermon might be and how it relates to the church, its power and its potential. But right now, I just want you to recognize I had 70 horses of power in that John Deere tractor and a bush mower that can cut down trees that are about three inch in caliper, but it was useless to me because I hadn't used it in 10 months. All right, that gives you a hint of where we're going at the end of the sermon. So today we wanna to talk about the church. And I wanna begin by recognizing, you know, what is the church? And a lot of times we say, well, we're gonna to go to the church and, and we see the buildings, we say, that's my church. And, but, you know, we all know that the building isn't really a church, right? We used to say around here, when the building burns down and the preacher leaves town, what you have left is the church. And, and we knew that the church was not a building here at Resurrection because when we started, you know, we, we didn't have buildings. So we started meeting in, you know, temporary places. Today we have six locations in Kansas City and you can see them all on the video screen. These are our sanctuaries. These are our, our buildings, but those buildings are not the church, right? Those buildings are a house to house what the church does. They're very important, but they are not the church. We knew this clearly that, that the building was not a church. When Church of the Resurrection started in, in 1990, we met in a funeral home chapel. You see the McGillie Chapel funeral home on the screen here. And that's where we started at the funeral home chapel. Then uh, when we started Resurrection West, they started in a school and you can see the school where they started. Now we knew that building was not the church. The church was the people going in and out of the building. Resurrection Downtown, when we started Resurrection Downtown, uh, we very quickly acquired a building. It was an old bar and we had this claim to fame that of all the United Methodist churches, probably of any churches across the country or around the world, we were the only one with a 20, 24 foot tall beer bottle on the side of our building. That was the Crosstown Station Bar that we had acquired and you can see the beer bottle on the side. The church is not a building, we all know that. And church isn't something we watch, it's not something that we simply go to, it's something that we are. So let's try to unpack what it means to be the church. In the New Testament, the Greek word that's translated church is ekklesia. Ecclesia. And ecclesia, it, it, uh, it comes from, a, it's a compound word. It comes from ek, which means out or about, and kaleo, which sounds like the word call. It means call. So ecclesia is to be called out. And so it was a secular term to begin with. It was used in politics, actually, hundreds of years before the church was born. In the Greco-Roman world, the ecclesia was the assembly of the people in a town who came together to debate and talk about or just to connect with each other in the town. It was, a, it was a community, a fellowship, a connection of people together to deal with the business of the town. And so it's interesting when the early Christians began to think about, well, what term do we use to describe what we're doing? It was ecclesia. But it wasn't just any ecclesia, any assembly or community or gathering or congregation. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, when it's translated into Greek, they also use this term ecclesia to translate the idea of the congregation, the people congregated together. But I love what Jesus says. If you turn to Matthew chapter 16, you're going to find that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? He wants to know, what do they believe about him? Who do you say that I am? And the rest of the disciples are, you know, totally silent, but Simon speaks up like he almost always does. And he says, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, Simon, son of John, from now on, you're going to be called Peter, which means rock. And then Jesus goes on to say this. He says, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia. And the gates of Hades or hell are not strong enough to stand against it. It's a very powerful thing, he says. I'm going to build my church on your profession of faith, Peter, and upon your leadership, I'm going to build my church. 
So I want you to notice something. Sometimes people say, well, you know, I love Jesus and I like, you know, I, I want to follow him, but I don't really think I need the church. I, I don't really care about the church. Jesus started the church. It was his idea. It was a big idea that you need to be together with other people. If you're going to be his disciples, if you're going to, you know, follow him, if you're going to experience the full potential of the church, of, of the gospel, you're going to do that with other people. So the entire New Testament was written to churches. It was written to churches and church leaders. All the gospels, all the things that Jesus said, they, were, they, were, they assumed that people were gonna come together and be a part of the ecclesia, Christ's assembly, Christ's community, Christ's congregation. That's interesting. The word, for, the word church comes into the English from the German kirsch, which came from the Greek kuriakon. And kuriakon means uh, belonging to the Lord. It was an adjective in, in Greek. It appears twice in the New Testament. Uh, it, it, when, it, when the New Testament speaks of the Lord's Supper, it was kuriakon, the Lord. It belonged to the Lord. And so, uh, so when we think of the word church, the very word church means this belongs to the Lord. This belongs to God. And so we are the people that belong to God. We are the people, we might start coming to church. We might start becoming a part of the congregation, not really knowing if we belong to Jesus. In fact, Church of the Resurrection was started in 1990 to build a Christian community, a Christian ecclesia, where non-religious and nominally religious people are becoming deeply committed Christians. So we started this thing to invite people who weren't already a part of a church, and maybe they're not sure they believe in Jesus yet, but to start coming. And then at some point, however, to say, I want to follow Jesus I really do want to be one of his people. And then for us as a church, that you know, our aim is to figure out, we come and we say, okay, I belong to you, Lord. We yield our lives to him. We invite him to lead us, to be Lord in our lives, to save us and rescue us. And then as a community, we say, now, Jesus, we are your people. What do you want us to do? Right, I, I once talked to a pastor. He said every time he goes to a new town, he starts asking the people, you know, when he'd go to a new church, what do you want to do here? What do you want to do here? I said, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't what do the people want to do? It's what does Jesus want to do? Right? And I just remind you, the church, sometimes you, know, you find small churches and medium-sized churches, maybe even big churches, where, where sometimes the pastor thinks the church is the pastor's church. Well, the church is not, does not belong to the pastor. The pastor is a servant of the church. The church doesn't belong to the trustees. It doesn't belong to the laity. It doesn't belong to the denomination. It doesn't belong to the bishop. The church belongs to Jesus. And our task is to figure out what does Jesus want to do with us? That's the question we're always asking around here. In every committee meeting, we need to be asking that question. Every time we make decisions, what does Jesus want to do in and through us? And that's also the question we need to be asking every day in our lives as a part of the church. Jesus, what do you want to do with me today? Here I am. Use me today. Over 20,000 people in the last 33 years have professed their faith in Jesus Christ through Church of the Resurrection. There's a lot more than that, but, but some of those were already Christians. The 20,000 I'm talking about were people along the way who, who had either fallen away from Christ or had never known Christ. And at Church of the Resurrection, now in all of our six locations and online and on TV, who have said, I want to follow Jesus. Probably way more than that, but there are 20,000 people who actually became members of the church who before joining would have said I was non-religious or nominally religious, but here I found Christ and my life was changed. I was thinking about one of those uh, this week, quite a lot actually. Uh, when we started in 1990, there was a single mom with three children who began attending our church. They were just little girls and uh, Emily, Laura, and Mary. And, uh, and you know, I remember as she began coming, she got excited and her faith was activated and she began to find the light of Christ here at Church of the Resurrection. It was fun to watch. And, and then her girls growing in their faith and then, and then seeing the way she wanted to serve and what she wanted to do and, and how she wanted to grow. And, and she became such an important part of what was happening as we began this congregation. And 33 years later, she's still been a part of this congregation. 
And I remember in year two, so year one, I guess, uh, 1991, we started in 1991, summer of 91, about this time, actually, we had a church lake weekend where we rented a, a very inexpensive resort down at the Lake of the Ozarks. I mean, it was one of those places that later they closed down. But we went there and, uh, and we said, anybody wants to come? And, and we had 150 people in the church and 100 of them said, you know, hey, we want to go to this. So I left a retired pastor behind to preach at the McGilley Chapel Funeral Home. And we all went to the lake. And Joyce said, you know, my girls have never been baptized. I'm like, well, hey, let's baptize them here at the lake. Here's a picture of me baptizing. This is uh, holding a little Mary, the youngest of them. And you can see Emily and Laura and, and Joyce holding their hands. And we just baptized the older girls. And now we're going to baptize the little girl. And, or we were getting ready maybe to baptize all of them. I can't remember now. It doesn't look like they've been baptized yet. But, but we were getting ready to baptize them and put them in the water and give them to Jesus. And uh, anyway, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about you know, a year later, two years later, and uh, Joyce, again, single mom, she was giving so much of herself. And one of the men in the church said, hey, you know, Joyce's house needs to be painted. How about if we all go over and paint it? And all of a sudden, you know, people in the church, they go over and we painted Joyce's house. And, and you know, there was such joy in that for her. And, and, and then watching how she reciprocated that and how she continued to serve people. And the reason why I was thinking about this so much this week, well, by the way, uh, a few years later, uh, I remember we were finishing our second sanctuary, which is now the student center at our Leewood location. And we always invite, when we build buildings, we invite people to write their prayers inside the walls or on the floors. In the room that I'm standing in now, all over the floor, underneath the carpet are people's prayers for this congregation. But in 1998, we were getting ready to move into what's now our student center, our second sanctuary. And, and we found this week the prayer that Joyce had written in the walls. Take a look at this. They were sealed up by sheetrock after this. But our church, Church of the Resurrection, she writes, has made a tremendous difference in my life and the life of my family. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us and giving us an opportunity to share your word with others. The reason why I was thinking about this so much is I received a call last week, a week and a half ago, from Mary, uh, who, you know, all these girls are now in their 30s. And, and Mary said, you know, mom's not doing very well, Adam. She, uh, she was doing okay. And then there was an infection and the doctors haven't been able to do, you know, control it. And, and she's in a coma and, and, uh, we don't think she's going to make it. So I walked into the room and there are these, you know, now 30-something women. So we gather around her bed and, and, and we prayed and we gave her to Jesus. We talked about our faith and I shared those, those pictures of, you know, the church and what it meant to be the church. And, and I wanted to remind each of them, you know, this is what your story is. It's shaped by your mom coming to faith at, at resurrection. And, and then, you know, I, I'd left and a couple days later I went back when they said, there's no more hope, Pastor. Uh, they're going to remove life support. And so I was in the room with her. So I was singing hymns to her while they were removing life support. And this coming Saturday, we're going to celebrate her life in the Wesley Chapel. We're going to place her, her ashes in one of the niches in our memorial garden. And we're going to thank God that in this place, Joyce's life was changed, which ended up creating a ripple effect that affected so many other people's lives. That's the church. We are Christ's people. We belong to him. Now, Joyce's story reminds me of another metaphor for the church and what it means. So we find throughout scripture, the idea of the church as the family of believers, the family of believers. And most often it's expressed when the, uh, when the scripture writers speak of the people in the church as brothers and sisters. So you've heard this terminology before. And, you know, I think of families, you know, I don't know about you, but almost everybody has some dysfunction in their families and the churches are no different. We're all human beings and there's always going to be some dysfunction in every church, but but you know what we're striving to be in the church is the best definition of what it means to be a family. And so Jesus calls us to be his brothers and sisters. We are each other's brothers and sisters. We are God's children. 
And, and so in that context, you know, we're 150 times in the New Testament, this idea of brothers and sisters is mentioned that we are meant to love one another with a kind of brotherly and sisterly love. We see that in what Jesus tells us about how we are to treat one another. So there's all these one another passages in the gospels and also in the epistles. I just remind you of a few. It says in the church, we are to love one another. We are to care for one another. We are to serve one another. We are to build one another up. We are to encourage one another. We're to teach one another, sometimes admonish one another. We're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And because we're all a little messed up and we're gonna hurt each other sometimes, we're also called by Jesus and the apostles to forgive each other, to forgive one another. What's interesting about that is all these directives for what the church is supposed to do require that we're together. We are with people. We are in relationship with one another. And, and that's part of what it means to be the church. We are the family of God. And so the Greek word for this in the New Testament is koinonia. Koinonia, maybe you've heard that term before. It means fellowship, or it's sometimes translated into English as fellowship. It means sharing in, participating with, partnering in, or with, or communing with. It is, it is being bound together with other people and doing life together. And that's part of what defines the church is we are a fellowship. We are, we are Christ community, Christ's assembly, we belong to him, but we're also a family. And so at our best as families, we, we do all of these one another things that Jesus talked about, the apostles talk about. And then that requires that we're connected together. And it may be in the world that we live in today that we're not actually in the same room with each other. Sometimes we're going to be on Zoom calls or, or we're going to be on FaceTime or something else, but that we are actually with other people, not trying to do this thing by ourselves because we need each other. And other people need us and the gifts that God has given us to care for them. Each week I have the joy of seeing this when I stand here in this pulpit and, and I look out across the room and I see, you know, I see people sitting in different places. You know, I think about the, the people who've lost their husbands and I see a whole group of women who sit together who've lost their husbands. And some of them have been in grief support groups and some of them not, but they find strength from each other. I, I think of uh, folks who sit right here in the front in front of me every week in one of our services and, and how, you know, for the longest time, Jack was really intentional with Martha about caring for Loretta and George and encouraging them and, and blessing them. And then, and then, you know, when Martha died, I watched that turn around as Loretta and George were doing everything they could to care for Jack and Colleen and, 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 and Craig and, and all these other people who surrounded Jack with love when Martha died. And I've seen that throughout this room, you know, throughout our, our building. And as we gather for worship, people coming alongside one another and caring for each other. Sometimes it's complete strangers. I've had people, you know, come up and introduce somebody to me and say, you know, Pastor Adam, I, I was sitting by this person and I feel like they need to talk to you today. And and, you know, when they look at me, I can tell there was somebody who was crying or somebody who was in pain. But you see, they're, they're paying attention to each other. When you're in church, you know, you're looking around. You're not just saying, hey, what's in it for me? Uh, we, you know, we have each other, you know, we have people greet one another at the beginning of service. And I know there's a lot of people who hate that. The introverts hate that. But part of what I, what I hope for is that when you're standing to greet, you're scanning the room to see who's sitting around you. And what do their eyes look like? And, and do they look like people who just barely made it here? You know, and, and there's a lot of grief or pain or heaviness. And, and it doesn't take somebody who is a psychic to look at somebody else and see that, see that they're hurting. And so part of our task, who's sitting by themselves? You know, who, who, who has no one paid attention to or noticed? And, and just last week in worship, I, I saw somebody, nobody else was talking to this person. You know, I, I, went out, I, I, I stepped down from the pulpit and I went, you know, went down to see this person. And, uh, and I, I could tell here was somebody, you know, was by herself and felt by herself in a big room. And the thing is, when we're family and when we're, you know, Christ's family, we are, we are intentionally trying to see how do I care for people? What do I do? How can I come alongside them? 
I see this in our youth group and, and teenagers who are developing relationships with other teenagers and how important that was for me when I was a teenager and how important it is for today's teenagers to have those kind of friendships that are built around their common faith in Jesus Christ. We announced a Bible study last spring for college students and there were like 70 college students who showed up and it was amazing to watch. Most of them didn't know each other. Why did they show up? They showed up because there was a yearning inside to have friendships that were somehow built around their faith and had such a great time in that group. And we'll be launching more things for college students this fall. So I look at that with our young adult ministry, but I also look at it with our senior adult ministry. I look at it at our Tuesday morning men's Bible study or our Building Better Moms that, that brings together a whole host of women sometimes who feel very lonely as they're caring for their kids and yet feeling like they have no time for friendships and finding that koinonia with each other. This is such an important part of life. Uh, Pastor Scott preached a couple weeks ago about the importance of friendships and the importance of being in small groups together and connecting. We need that. And you know, there are 500 new people who've signed up to be in small groups just since his sermon. That's so exciting. There are 500 people who said, I know I need that. And I think there's a whole lot more who, who know I need to be connected with other people. If you're across the country or around the world, you can do that online. We have online Bible studies. And one of the things that's fun is every, so, you know, every several months, there'll be a group of people who I meet after church and they have flown in from other parts of the country to meet together for the first time. They've been in Bible study for a year, sometimes two years, but they're coming together to break bread and to actually see each other face to face. It's just so fun to see. But you can establish that kind of koinonia online as well, support groups and other things like this, but, but we need that. So 500 new people have signed up for these classes, 1,800 existing people in these small groups, and I think there's another 1,000 people at least who need this and feel the need for it but haven't signed up yet. You can go to core.org slash next and you can find out more, cor.org slash next. You can find out more about how you can get connected in our Disciple Bible Study classes, a very intensive and awesome Bible study that'll happen throughout the course of this next year. Or you can sign up for some kind of short-term Bible study, you know, three or four weeks just to test it out. But there's opportunities for you to find friendships and who doesn't need more friendship in their lives? Pastor Scott made reference to loneliness and I was reading this report from the Surgeon General. This came out in May of this year, May of 2023 our epidemic of loneliness and isolation. So the Surgeon General's trying to understand what are the critical issues of our time, health-wise, mental health and physical health, and this was it for 2023, our epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And what it's, what it's recommending is, or what it's trying to advocate for is the healing effects of social connection and community. Community, koinonia, the family of God, the people of God. So. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, how part of the loneliness we've experienced is that we stopped doing the things that brought us together with other people in the past. And that's true in the church world, across the country, really around the world, but certainly across the United States, that there are an increasing number of people who, if they are still connected in worship, are worshiping online, or in our case, on TV. I thank God for our online and TV. And those of you who are online and on TV, thank you so much for worshiping with us. I'm so glad that you do. And for me, when I'm traveling or I've been out during the summertime, it was a lifeline for me. I was so glad to still worship with my church family. And, and again, if you don't, if you have no way of being able to get to a physical location of resurrection, I'm so glad you have this, the access to this, but there are ways to get connected online in small groups and support groups. I wanna encourage you to think about taking that next step. And if you live in the Kansas City area near any of our six locations, I wanna encourage you, give it a try. 
Give it a try. In the last two weeks, I've spoken to two different people who told me that they had not been to church in three and a half years, not since March of 2020, when we had to close the church down because of COVID, have they been back in person. And part of that is fear. One of them said, you know, I just feel a little fearful. And, and for the other one, it's like, I've just gotten out of the habit and it's just so convenient to be in my jammies and my cup of coffee. And I'm like, hey, I get that. I totally understand that. But I, I said to both of them, can I just encourage you to give it a try? Like to, to actually step out and try being with other people again. If you have access, if you're anywhere close to one of our locations, give it a try and see what happens when you come together. I was reading the Surgeon General's report and it asked this, this is on their website. It says, what if there is something in our everyday lives that can transform our whole health and well-being? Something that can decrease the risk of developing and worsening heart disease, anxiety, high blood pressure, dementia, depression, and diabetes. And then it goes on, it exists, but like a garden, it needs to be cared for and nurtured that's something, the Surgeon General's report says, is social connection. And what the New Testament calls social connection is ecclesia and koinonia. It is the church. I have hundreds of stories I could share about this, but I'll just mention a couple from this last week. I was walking between our buildings here at the Leewood location, and, uh, and there were two guys who were standing there talking. And they said, hey, Pastor Adam. And I said, hey, good to see you guys today. And, and I said, what are you up here for? And they said, well, we're here for a group of, uh, a support group for parents. It's called Full Circle. We have uh, our kids, our teenagers are in one room and we're in another room. And uh, I said, well, tell me about Full Circle. And they said, well, you know, you all host this and it's for teenagers who are struggling with addiction. And then we have a support group for parents to know how we can best care for our kids. And one of the dads said, I've been meaning to tell you this. I am so grateful that the church hosts this organization. I'm so grateful that it's here and that you make this possible because I don't think, and actually said more than they said, I am convinced that my daughter would not be alive today were it not for this group. I looked at the, over at the other man, he's nodding his head and he said, same with mine. And then just at that moment, this, this uh, you know, two or three girls go running by down the, down the hallway and they said, the one said, that's my daughter over there. She wouldn't be here were it not for this group. Those groups, that's koinonia. That's the power of connecting together in fellowship, caring for one another, encouraging one another, bearing one another's burdens. You know, and that's part of what the church does as well. We have 37 support groups that meet here at Resurrection. Many of them we sponsor, we lead. Uh, some of them we don't. They're support groups for people whose spouses have, have uh, dementia. They're support groups for people who are walking through certain kinds of health concerns. There's support groups for people who have lost children or lost a spouse, both men and women's groups for them, and so much more. And every week, 1,400 people every week at our various locations gather together in our addiction and recovery ministries support groups. I mean, I'm so grateful for this. This is part of what it means to be the church, to be the family of God, to care for one another, to be Christ's community. And none of that begins to count the resurrection of congregational care ministers, our lay people who go visit the hospitals, have a cup of coffee with you, will we'll, we'll walk with you during the hard times in your life. They make thousands of hospital calls every year. Our Silverlink ministry that has a chance to go into nursing homes and assisted care centers and have worship services and care for people and befriend them and bring pets to come visit and all these other kind of awesome things that happen when the church is being the church. On this rock, Jesus says, on Peter's profession of faith, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell are not strong enough to withstand the onslaught of the church. When it's bringing healing and hope and light and life, when we comfort those who mourn and befriend those who have no friends. And that leads to one last metaphor when it comes to the church. 
And this one is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Paul says this, now you, and the you is plural, you, all of you together, are the body of Christ and individually members of it. What an interesting metaphor. You are the body of Christ. Now remember that Christians believe in the incarnation that God took on flesh in Jesus, that he came and walked among us on this earth and took on flesh. Jesus incarnated or embodied God so that we might know that God is, God's love for us, God's will for us, the hope that we have in Christ, the forgiveness and mercy, all of that. Jesus came to embody that to be light for us. But then he said, now I'm leaving and the job is up to you. Your task together is to let your light shine before others that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Your task is to teach other people what I've been teaching you, to do the things that I've been doing. And so he commands us to continue his work. We put flesh on Jesus today. We put flesh on God. That's what the church is meant to do as well, to be the body of Christ, the physical presence of God, of Jesus in the world, so that every time we gather together, we are being powered. We're listening for what the will of the one who owns the church is. What is your will, Lord? What do you want us to do? And then we go out and we care for one another within the walls of the church and outside the walls of the church. That's the koinonia. And then we go out into the world to embody, to put flesh on Christ. That's the church. Gathered together and then distributed into the world. We are the church. And that church is meant to be the light for the world, Jesus said. He tells his disciples, you are the light. You take my light my love, my grace into the world. Now, I love that. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we leave worship every day, whether you're at home in front of your television set or you're gathered in one of our locations, we leave every week asking the Holy Spirit to help us take the gospel into the world. And so as we do that, I I think about, you know, what that begins to look like. I think about what it means to push back the darkness in the world to bring healing and hope you think about what Jesus did. And and I love in Matthew chapter nine, we read these words that Matthew writes to summarize Jesus' ministry. And he says this, Jesus, here it is. He says, then Jesus went to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So he went out, he didn't stay in a building, he went out. And then he cured every disease and every sickness. So he's looking for people who are broken, broken and he's bringing healing to them. And he said, and it says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. This is the, the will of the Lord is that we actually go out and look for the people who are hurting. We go out and we see the people who need light and love and grace. And, and, and it's pretty hard to miss them because it's pretty much everywhere you look. We are called to be the incarnation of Jesus in the world. I love it when I hear about the kinds of things that you do as a congregation that surprise me. So I was at a meeting of civic leaders recently and the mayor of Overland Park, the, for those of you outside of Kansas City, the largest or the second largest city in the state of Kansas, uh, it's one of our suburbs here. And uh, the mayor of Roland Park came up to me, Kurt Skoog, and he says, hey, Adam, I love your church. I'm like, man, me too. You know, now he's not a part of our congregation. He goes to another congregation. He says, I love your church. I said, tell me why you love our church. He says, because you guys do so many awesome things. I said, well, what, what are you thinking about in particular? He said, we had a terrible storm a few weeks ago and limbs were down all over in the Kansas City area. And he said, you know, the Resurrections folks with their chainsaws came and they helped 150 different households, 150 different families or people, mostly senior adults, I think, cut down those branches and, and haul off all this stuff. I mean, you guys were out there 
you know, rolling up your sleeves. I didn't even know we'd done that. I mean, I knew we had a team. I just had no idea they were out there doing this with 150 households in our community. I love it. Uh, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, I received a, a letter, surprised me from our senator, in this, uh, one of our two senators in the state of Kansas, uh, Roger Marshall. And he said, I happened to be in church last week, Pastor Hamilton, and I wanted to say, I so appreciated hearing about all that you all were doing for mental health and to help people to find wholeness in their lives. I thought that was awesome. And I'm like, man, I'm, I, he didn't introduce himself. He didn't come up. He wasn't trying to be seen by anybody. He'd, you know, he's not running for office this year. Uh, he just was saying, I was in church and I saw what you do and it matters. And I'm so glad when people have a chance to see that because this is the kind of stuff that the church is meant to do all the time. There are churches that are pretty self-absorbed, uh, maybe none that you've ever been a part of, but there are a lot of churches where it's, it's all about just the church family and, and what's happening in the church family. One of the things that we are called to be as Christians and one of the things that's a hallmark of Methodism is that we accept Christ. We seek to, to love him, to follow him, to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But we believe that that's meant to compel us to go out into the world, to be the body of Christ for the world, to look for the places where there's need for healing or wholeness. We remember what Jesus said when he told us, you know, when, when we see people who are hungry, we're to feed them. And they're thirsty, we're to give them drink. When they're naked, we're to clothe them. When they're strangers, we're to welcome them. Immigrants and aliens in our midst, we're to welcome them. That we are meant to uh, to go to the prisons and visit prisoners. And we're meant to care for those in the hospital and those who are sick. And all of those are things that we do together as the church. That's part of what drives us as we seek to be the body of Christ. Uh, just this weekend, we had our, our serve day. So every month we have, this is a very simple way to go out and serve, but we have opportunities online. And I think it's the third Saturday of every month and you can go online. And I just went online to see how many people had already signed up to go out in service in the community. And there's something that happens when we go out with other people to go serve in the community. We find koinonia, we find that we're doing Jesus' will and we push back the darkness and we bring light and life for ourselves and other people. I was on a Zoom call this week and I'm getting close to the end, but I was on a Zoom call this week with a superintendent who oversees 115 churches in Malawi, a small sliver of a country in South Central Africa that we've invested quite a, quite a lot of time and resources in. And uh, not just Malawi, we're in a whole host of places around the world, but Malawi is one of those places we put a lot of resources, it's one of the poorest countries uh, in the world. So three of our people, two of our staff and one of our lay people was in Malawi. And I said, you know, I'd love to have a chance to talk to the superintendent there. And we actually have a full-time staff member down there uh, that is from Malawi. And, and we're involved in all kinds of programs. And, and I got a report of what, what you have done through Church of the Resurrection. I just wanted to give you some idea of this. You built 186 boreholes for clean water. That's 186 communities that now have clean water that didn't. Boreholes or wells. Uh, you support 15 preschools. You provide training and salaries and nutritional support for the children and their teachers. You sponsor 184 students in vocational support and provide scholarships for 14 university and seminary students. You provided solar lights for thousands of people. And you've heard this before. I mentioned this a few weeks ago in church. Now focusing on literacy programs for children and adults. And, and you know, as I'm talking to the, to the superintendent, he's like, we don't know where we'd be without you. And I'm like, but see, you're letting us do this. Thank you for allowing us because this feeds us too. This allows us to, to be a part of the kingdom of God. Thank you for allowing us to do this. And you're doing all the hard work. We just have a chance to do the easy, you know, easy stuff. But I mean, I think about that, pushing back the darkness. And of course, as you know, 2,000 low-income kids here in Kansas City are gonna be receiving, they've received their school supplies from you. They will receive their, winter, you know, their coats from you and their gloves. They receive their beds if they don't have beds. And, and all of these things that you're doing to try to change the world. A thousand of you are gonna give blood on uh, this coming week through our blood drives. And that's just a tiny, that's just scratching the surface. 
But that's what it means to be the church. And I think back to something that John F. Kennedy said. It, it really began with the Puritans who first came here, and then John F. Kennedy picked it up, and then Ronald Reagan used it in a, in a speech, and Barack Obama did the same. And they talked about America as a shining city, city on a hill. That's a great and powerful and moving metaphor. America is a shining city on a hill. But you know who they were quoting was Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus wasn't referring to America. He was referring to the church. We are meant to be a city set upon a hill that can't be hidden because we let Christ's light fill us. And then we're intentional about seeking to be the church and caring for one another and going out in service to the world. That is what it means to be the church. So here it is. Christ's people, his community, that's what the church is. We belong to Jesus. We are the ecclesia called by Jesus out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We are the family of believers meant to care for each other, even people we don't know, complete strangers, and yet we know we're bound to care for one another, serve one another, bless one another, support one another. All of this is part of what it means to be the koinonia, to be the church. And then we are the body of Christ, putting flesh on Jesus in his gospel so that the kingdom of God might come on earth as it is in heaven. All right, I want to end with the tractor. So all of that is, is just a bit of what it means to be the church. So uh, tractor, we got it started, hadn't started it for 10 months, had so much horsepower. Here's the sermon, I think, in the tractor. So much horsepower, 70 horsepower, a cutter that could cut down you know, trees three inches, uh, three inches in diameter. And yet it was totally useless because I had not started the tractor up in 10 months. And Dave looks at me and he says, hey, Adam, you know, if you want this thing to work for you, you got to start it more than twice a year. And, and I immediately thought about the fact that, you know, for some of us going to church at Christmas and Easter is pretty much the pattern. Not you, because you're here on some other day, but, you know, for a lot of people, Christmas and Easter, and I go get my fix of hope, and the worst thing is never the last thing, and, and you know, and, and joy to the world. But you see, if you really want to have access to those things, you want to live according, you know, to, those, to that hope, you want to walk in the light as he's in the light, you can't just do it twice a year. It requires an investment of your time, of your energy, to be involved in the koinonia, to be involved in the church, and then to open yourself up to be the church in the world. Uh, Dave, help me start that tractor. This is what it looked like when I was plowing down the last little part of the fields. And uh, you can see those trees there, and you can see what's happening as I'm mowing over them. And, and uh, you know, they just, they just come right down when the tractor's running. It's got a ton of power to really, you know, take out the weeds and brush down the trees. And here's the thing, the church has power, great power. And the question is, that's what it looked like when we were finished. And the question is simply this, are we gonna avail ourselves of the power of the church? Or are we just gonna show up a couple times a year and call it good? I wanna ask you to do these three things. I wanna ask you to make a commitment to Jesus Christ today, to say, Jesus, I want to follow you, be the light in my life. I wanna ask you to do this. I wanna invite you to to say, I'm going to try to get more involved in the church, to get involved in a small group. If you haven't signed up for them, core.org slash next, you can get involved and sign up for a small group today. They kick off August 30th. Be a part of that. Say, I'm gonna do that online or in person. If you haven't been to church in a long time, uh, in person, if you haven't come to be a part of the family together, I wanna encourage you, if you have access to it, show up, take the risk, show up and see what happens. Talk to people, connect with people. And finally, I wanna invite you to be the body of Christ and to leave this service intent upon putting flesh on Jesus in the world. With that in mind, I invite you to bow with me for our closing prayer. God, we thank you and praise you for the gift of the church. 
Jesus, that your intention was to build the church. It's not, it's not something superfluous. It's not, it's not a, a nice to have. You saw it as essential for your followers to be a part of a community, your community, to be in fellowship with each other and care for one another, to have relationships with each other, to grow deeper in our faith. And then finally, that together we might truly impact the world as the body of Christ. So I pray for every person who's listening to this message. I pray that today they might say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I pray that they might feel motivated and moved and hear you speaking to them, saying it's time for you to get more connected and more involved. And for all of us to leave this service committed to being your body, your light, and pushing back the darkness in the world. Use us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.